The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and this is episode three of season three, or by the old reckoning, number 174. Uh, we're going to talk to Meg Stevenson today of Small Monsters Games uh, about her new game takeout and about uh, game design and kind of just game dev in general. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back, and then I'll introduce her. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us today. Uh, again, I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me today is Meg Stevenson. How are you doing, Meg? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Hopefully I didn't butcher your name too badly there. No, Meg Stuyvesant. That's right. Perfect, perfect. I, I, I practiced it ahead of time, hoping I would get it right. <laughs> so, Meg, you have a company called Small Monsters Games. Tell me a little bit about your game company. Okay, Small Monster Games is my husband and myself. So it always seems weird to me to call it a company when, mm-hmm. like, our dev studio is our kitchen table. Sure thing. But, uh... <laughs> Takeout is our second release as Small Monster Games, and we have another card game in the works. Um, My husband and I both did traditional video game development, and we wanted to do our own projects, and we talked about it for a long time and kept kicking around ideas, and um, uh, last year we finally started our own company. Well, you know what's kind of funny to me about that is that my wife and some of her coworkers have started playing Dungeons and Dragons on their lunch break, which nice. 15 years ago, though, we all would have looked at that and thought, oh, what a bunch of nerds. But now, with video games being the preeminent uh, platform for gaming, it has also become much less social. So now suddenly all these things we would have made fun of people in the past are now having a social experience playing things we used to call antisocial. Right. So the whole world's turned on its head now. Yeah, I think it's true. I think it used to be like weirdos in the basement playing D&D, and now it's so nice to be around the table with your friends. Yeah, now it's just like an activity to do with somebody when it used to, I don't know. It's still hard for me to wrap my head around the change that happened in there. So you and your husband used to work on video games then? Yeah. Anything I, w- I would have heard of, or can you tell us a little bit about um, your background? I, yeah, I worked on an MMO called Next Island. I did uh, I did QA on some of the Nancy Drew games. I did QA on Fortnite for a little while. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so most of my work was either as a writer for games, like a dialogue writer, or doing QA. Oh, nice. What is your What is your professional background, or your what was your academic background? I guess. Oh, my professional academic background is so far removed from game development. <laughs> uh, I I'm an ESL teacher. Um, I teach English as a foreign language. And you do that here in the States? Yeah. Um, I did it in China for about three years, and uh, I've, I've done it here for a couple of years, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, a friend of mine did that for a yeah. long time in Japan. And uh, Yeah. So I, I know Asia, that's a large market, so I'm just curious about doing it here in the States. 
Yeah, um, so for me, it's a lot easier to do here because I have students of mixed native languages mm -hmm. and it's really interesting and they all have different difficulties. When I was teaching in China, uh, native Mandarin speakers all have the same pronunciation difficulties. They all have the same difficulties with singular and plural. So it's um, it's it's a little easier for me here when everybody has a different native language and I can put people in, uh, put classmates in groups and partners and uh Ask them to talk in English, and they have they they have to do it. There's no cheating. Oh, there you go. Yeah, do we yeah. consider that? There's yeah, there's no backup. <laughs> yeah. So even if they're chatting about, uh, you know, oh, the red line was terrible this morning. You got to do it in English. There you go. All right, so let me ask you, I'm going to ask you kind of a goofball question before we keep rolling here. Um, one of the things we do when we do our live show every week is we ask all the guests and the co-hosts what you're geeking out about. So what's something you, like, really get into, something you geek out about pretty frequently? Um, well, I just started playing Civ Four again. Ah. Yeah, and I have, I now have a regular Civ night where I play with some guys from college and one of the guys I work with, and... Uh, I haven't played it in a couple of years, and it's a really great game. So I've been taking over the world in Civ Four. Nice. I've been. I yeah. periodically replay Civilization Five. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's that's one I like. Uh. I used to back when I used to board game a little bit. Those were the kinds of games that I used to like to get too. But of course. Yeah. Then you run into stuff like Axis and Allies, where it takes like 19 hours to get one game through. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the depressing things about getting older is we we only play one night a week and we only play for about two hours and uh, two of the guys I played with uh, that I'm playing with now we used to play this game in college and when it was it was Civ two then um, and we would just go start Friday night and we would still be playing on Sunday night. Yeah, nothing but Mountain Dew and Funyuns. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I remember that game. Yeah. I remember it quite well. <laughs> so, okay, so you got a video game background. You and your husband met, I, was it through video game stuff? Through video games, yeah. Okay. Um, so how, how did the conversation come up that you guys wanted to try to do a, uh, well, to do an actual, like, board game or in-person game? Um, kind of what we've been talking about, about it being a social experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason we wanted to try board games is that we wanted it to be something you played with your friends. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we wanted it to be like gather around the table and enjoy time with other people. Um, we'd also, we'd been talking about game ideas, like since we worked in video games, um, a lot of my work has been contract and freelance. So, you end up working on a small part of somebody else's creative vision and it's great and it improves your skills. And it's really hard not to think about, ah, oh, if this were my game and it were my creative vision, here's what I would change. I can, I can definitely yeah. see that. So let's, yeah. um, let's talk a little bit about the game you've got out now, which is called takeout, which anybody, if you're listening and want to go check it out on Amazon, go to tinyurl.com slash takeout game. It'll take you right to that game, and uh, it's also a uh, affiliate link for me, so you help show out, and you help out our guests. So if, if you're thinking about getting it, if you get it that way, that would be great. Now, what I find interesting here, especially now that I know a little bit about your background, this game called Takeout that you've made is about getting Chinese takeout. It's about my time in China trying to order Chinese food. 
which is different than what we eat here when we think of Chinese yes. food. So talk to me a little bit. How, how does this start, and what was your first step in trying to put something together? So the inspiration for the game is my years in China, and when I first arrived, I spoke almost no Mandarin. And my Chinese now is still not very good, mm-hmm. but I, I can get myself fed. Um, <laughs> But when I first arrived, I was terrible at the language. There was kind of a guessing element to trying to order food um, and trying to get something that tasted good. And it's what I thought I was ordering. And that's kind of the game is about getting a complete meal and getting all of the different foods that you like. And all of your setbacks are problems with the language. And all of your advantages are like you use your superior chopstick skills to steal from another player. Or you have a Chinese uh. phrase book and you can get an extra phrase. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So this is now this is a card game, right? Yes. All right. So now the way your how's your deck split up then in that case? Um, it's divided into food cards and action cards, and the foods are all most of them are things I personally like to eat. I didn't. I I just chose food I liked. Sure. And they all have different flavors. So you're trying to get something that's sweet, something that's salty, something that's bitter. So you're getting the the five tastes. And you're also trying to get a cold drink, which is a real rarity in uh, most Chinese restaurants. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's considered cold drinks are considered unhealthy in China. Now that's so, interesting. Yeah. You know, strangely enough, my wife and I actually were up in Vancouver last year for the first time, and trying to get a drink there with ice in it, people look at you like you're half crazy. I, I wonder if it's just an American thing I, that I, we just, like, really love cold drinks. It apparently is because, like, we went to an A&W root beer, right? It, mm-hmm. they, that root beer came without ice in it. And here in California, mm-hmm. if you go to an A&W, you, not only do you pour it yourself, but there's an assumption that there's going to be a lot of ice in it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just kind of odd. And trying to get an iced tea in Canada that wasn't mostly uh, sweetener and lemon was also difficult. And that's just yep. Canada. <laughs> so I can, I can certainly see uh, you go to Asia. That's that's kind of the thing, I guess, about Asian countries is that, you know, they're human beings. We have a lot of stuff that's very similar, but our cultures are very different. And the languages don't even share a root word uh, basis. Yeah. So getting around is really tricky, I imagine, especially if you don't speak the language. Yeah, a lot of um, – I found that the Mandarin that I practiced before I – arrived was weirdly formal and nobody understood me even when i thought i was saying it properly um so a lot of the game is about having language struggles and really like trying hard to get that tasty meal and that cold drink okay yeah all right so then you said you have your food cards and you had Mm -hmm. five five flavors that you're trying to get right Mm -hmm. now is one of those the cold drink or is that a sixth uh the sixth is the cold drink yeah so then when you have your action cards, what do you have? Just And you don't have to name them all, obviously. Just throw out a handful of ones that are, like, creative or uh, interesting. So one of them is chopstick skills, and I can use that to steal food away from somebody else. Okay. Um, one of them is uh, dabao, which is uh, have it wrapped up. And you can take somebody else's food away from them and uh, put it on the bottom of the draw deck. Okay. Um. And then I have a I have a food card that's mooncakes, which you just pass from person to person. It doesn't actually go into your meal. 
All right. So now when you're putting this together, okay. kind of give me give me the steps that you guys took to actually build the game and play test it and all that. Uh, okay. So I'm the game designer and my husband's the artist. Okay. So for takeout, I um. I came up with the game and came up with the cards and the rules, um, and I wrote them out on index cards. And for a while, we had index cards with stickers, and that was the state of the game. Um, and I got to where I thought I was about 90, 95% done, although obviously that's that's an exaggeration. The last 10% took a really long time. Um, but I got the game to where it was playable, and then... I asked Harold to start working on some art. Okay. And uh, he came up with all of the branding and all of the, all of the style for the cards. Um, and then that last that last ten percent of game development was like a lot of intensive playtesting and a lot of balancing and rebalancing. So that's I guess the point where you look for game breakers in there. Um. For me, finding the game breakers happened early on. Okay. But finding the right ratio of different food flavors and different action cards to make the game uh, fast-paced and interesting, that took a lot of time. So when you sat down to create this game, did you have a period of time you wanted a game to, to be played in? What were some of your goals with, like, you know, could somebody pick it up right away? How long should the game be? What were some of your goals there, and how did you facilitate managing those goals? Oh, wow. Um, so my my biggest goal was I thought it was kind of, like, fun and exciting mm-hmm. to be an expat in a small dumpling shop trying to get the food that I liked. And I really wanted to share that with other people. So that was the goal of making the game. Okay. Um, when we talk about like playtime on the game, I knew I wanted it to be pretty short because this, I, I'm not able to sit down and play like a 10-hour uh, Arkham Horror game or anything. Right. I wanted it to be something that, you know, you could explain to somebody else pretty quickly. Um. Harold, my husband Harold works in, we're used to work in casual games, and the gold standard for a casual game is like easy to learn, easy to play. If you can teach somebody else how to play the game very quickly, that's uh, really accessible, and you can have, you can invite more friends to play that game. Well, yeah, because you're not, look at Monopoly. Monopoly's been around for 100 years, and nobody knows the rules of that damn game. I mean, literally, nobody understands, nobody knows the real rules, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me, that's kind of a big deal, especially when it comes to, like, uh, gaming on my phone. Yeah. I, I need to be able to play a game for, like, five or six minutes, and that's it, you know? Yeah. I want to be able to play it while I'm waiting for the bus, yep. and then I want to put it down. And when I pick it up again, I don't want to think about, oh, where was I in the story? Who's this character? I just yep. want to go back to playing. Yeah, that's what my PS4 is for, if I want to have a memory-involved game. That's what my mm-hmm. consoles are for, yeah. Um. So tell me a little bit, I mean, so you said that you've noticed the social element of in-person gaming with board games and card games and that sort of thing. Um, and it was something that you guys wanted to do. What are some other ideas for games that maybe you tried to come up with and couldn't get there or didn't like once you had developed them out a little bit? Has that happened? Um, 
Well, we, we've had a lot of ideas that we've kicked around, mm-hmm. but we have uh, one that's in a prototype stage now that's completely different from Takeout. And uh, that one is uh, that one's a horror game. Okay. And it's all – my husband's a horror writer, and we have all these, like – he's done a bunch of uh, photography and written a lot of flavor text for these cards, and we're in very, like – early experimentation on this one okay so when it comes to game design is that the part you enjoy is the the creative process what do you really like about it um i like the i I like the design side i like coming up with uh interactions for players there's a there's a level of frustration in play testing Mm -hmm. because i think there's a there's a part of of balancing the game or at least for me that's just like play it 10 times and see if see if this happens and that can get a little bit frustrating but uh actually coming up with the game is the fun part okay so um yeah a friend of mine used to, well i think he still does anyways i knew somebody who did game testing for ea mm-hmm. at one point i thought that sounded like an awesome job until i realized it was literally 11 hours of being locked in a room going can you walk through this wall can you walk through that wall Do you yeah think, yeah do you yep. fall through the ground here? And I guess one of the nice things about uh, in-person board games and card games is there's no computer glitches to deal with. That's true. There's still um there's still a, a random element because it you know you're drawing cards, mm-hmm. so you do at least for me. There was a lot of testing to make sure. Okay, if we um if one player is hoarding all of the good cards. How do I make sure this game is still playable? Oh, so how did you deal with that? Um, there's a there's a hand not well. There's not really a hand limit. You start. At, there's a maximum number of cards you can have in your hand at a time. Okay. And it's not set as a hand limit. It's just the way the game goes. You're not going to be able to get more than that. Gotcha. And also, um, I guess with your chopsticks, that kind of would help yeah. a little bit. And the end of each turn has a discard phase. Okay. So you wouldn't be able to, even if you decided like that you weren't interested in beating the beating the game, you weren't interested in being the winner. You were just going to ruin it for everybody else. Um, you can't actually hoard cards that well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't really think about it, but in a card game, I guess there's always the potential for somebody to play for a draw. Yeah, yeah. We um we also did some playtesting with friends who weren't gamers, mm-hmm. um, because it's pretty easy to test it. Like, oh, if everybody makes the optimum move or what I think is the optimum move, how will this game go? And then playing it with other people that feel like, well, maybe maybe they didn't see that move or maybe they have a different strategy. Yeah, I can see that. Well, it's um playing poker against people who don't know how to play poker. Yeah. And you'll see that they'll they'll bet on a hand so everybody knows how to play quits. They you know, okay, that's I'm not not betting anymore. And then it yep. turns out they won with a pair of threes. And you're like, why in the hell were you betting on that? Well I won. Okay, so because you don't know how to play the game, the rest of us got screwed out of a pot. So this guy won because he literally didn't know any better. Yeah. Yes. And so that that has to be a potential as well then, right? Yeah. Wow, there's a yeah. lot of a lot of small steps in there I wouldn't even consider. That's what I mean by the last 10% of the game development took such a long time. 
So what what did you come across as you were developing takeout? Was there anything in there that you weren't prepared for that you found to be like a, a game running experience or card or something you had to completely rip out of the deck because it didn't work out the way you thought it would? Um, the branding is completely different. All of the art, um, we've styled up the game like American takeout. Like you see the box is red and white. It looks like a typical takeout container. Yep. Um, and we did a lot of the branding from like a typical American Chinese restaurant. Um, and my original plan was that we were going to use photos of authentic Chinese food and we were going to use the, uh, we were going to use the Mandarin names for everything. Um, and that just didn't work. People, it wasn't appealing. People didn't really understand what I was doing. Um, I also, the original title of the game was Trefenlema, which is, uh, Chinese have you eaten yet? And it's really clever because it's a greeting and it's a social game. Um, but, uh, nobody remembered that name. Uh, even people that said that they had a nice time playing the game couldn't remember what the game was called and we weren't really sure should we should we use the um traditional chinese characters or the simplified chinese characters or try to use pinyin or try to uh how we would just how we would do that title so that ended up that's one of those kill your darlings ideas yeah i thought it was such a great title so clever on so many levels and it was only funny to me yeah, that, that happens to a lot of us. I, I do love that phrase, kill your darlings, because my wife will use it all the time when writing. She, yeah. You know, it's like, I love this character, but this character does not belong here, or whatever it is. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's one I love the idea of, because so many things I have set out to do. Now, it, to know anything about me is to know that I am really inquisitive and creative, but I have a very short attention span. So I tend to know a I little hear bit, that. yeah, I tend to know a little bit about a lot of things and I tend to start a lot of projects that I eventually look at and go, eh, never mind. So, so I certainly get it. <laughs> I I also have that. I have great ideas and then well, this is a great idea and it's fun, but I thought of another idea and I want to pursue that one instead. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's pretty hard to actually follow through and and finish creating something. That's I, you know, I sometimes wonder if that's the artistic temperament too, you know. But this is like episode one one seventy of your podcast, so yeah. there's some follow through. Oh yeah, this actually out of all the hobbies and things I've started, this has been the one that I've had the most fun with. Um, yeah, this is one seventy four, yeah. and I actually have another podcast as well. So yeah. Um, but it, it does come like towards the end of Christmas, I start taking time off. Cause I'm like, eh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> everybody's, yep. everybody's busy. Everybody's got other stuff going on. And, um, so it's still, it still kicks in on this, but this is one that I, I have definitely been able to focus on. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've also started to write and draw about 150 different graphic novels. Written two different web series. Now I've got the idea of like maybe audio dramas would be fun because we all spend time <laughs> in our car, you know. We all spend time yeah. on the bus. We don't always have time to read crap, so audio dramas. And I think I've written down the word audio drama on the top of a piece of paper 135 times, but that's about as far as it's gotten. <laughs> I have listened to some audio dramas, but I think that's true. Um, 
we we are looking for a story like that that you can listen to on your commute, whether that's the train or the car. Yeah, and see, I'm yes. a salesman in my day to day life, so I'm like, my phone. Oh, you're in the car all day. Oh, yeah, yeah. A, my phone carries like two thirds of everything I listen to. Besides, um, in the afternoons, I like to switch to a um, like, kind of like a neutral based political talk uh, on Sirius XM, and just kind of get caught up on what's happened that day. Which has been a little harder than normal lately for the last oh, year or so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a need for that escapism in an audio drama, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> now I'm completely off. Well, how do you, since you commute around a lot, how do, how do you like to pass your time? Um, I, I read a lot. I mm-hmm. listen to podcasts. Um, I don't drive. Okay. So I'm always on, on my phone or reading. Well, yeah, but where you're at, you don't have to drive. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. I, I can drive. I just really hate it. Yeah, that's fine. And look, if I didn't, if I wasn't in my car eight hours a day, I'd hate it too. Matter of fact, I'd probably hate it more because of that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so you've told me that you're working on a horror game now. Are you a horror fan? Um, I'm not really a horror fan. My husband has written, um, my husband has written two graphic novels and he's a huge horror fan. He's written a bunch of flash fiction. Um, so take out is kind of my baby. It's all about my memories and my experiences because, um, I lived in China long before I met Harold. Um, so it was all about, all about my memories and experiences. And, uh, now the horror game is his project. Gotcha. It's all um, the art, yeah. So it's the trade-off. Well, not to get off your subject, who who published his graphic novels? Uh, his, he wrote Screamland for from Image. Oh, really? Yeah. Holy cow! Okay, I didn't know we were walking into that, but um, okay. <laughs> I, I had a young lady on last year, and. Uh, as I'm talking to her, I'm like, God, your name sounds familiar. Well, it turned out her husband was Everett Hartso, who created the uh, the character Razor back in the 90s, and he even his character crossed over with the crow. And I'm like, well, wait oh, a wow. minute. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of – it's always kind of fun to see kind of, who who is whose partner kind of thing, you know. It's, yeah. It, yeah. I think a lot of creative people want to connect with other creative people. You know, so there's a lot of partnerships like that. Yeah, because how boring would it be if if they weren't, you know? Yeah. Because, well, like you guys, like you get this idea for a board game or a card game and you're like, hey, you know, spousal person, come here. And they're like, ah, stuff it. Nobody cares. (laughs) You know, because I I guess you guys would have to kind of cheerlead each other a little bit, wouldn't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, that's, that's certainly how my wife and I work is that. When one of us has a great idea, we run with it and then kind of help push the other one with it. Like, like you're bringing up, I've actually gone through 170 some odd episodes of my podcast. Well, a couple times, I'll, I'll tell you right now, a couple times are because my wife kind of looked at me and went, Hey, shithead, go turn your microphone on, go turn your microphone on, sit down and email some people and start getting some guests yep. lined up. Yeah. So when you're feeling down, what does, what does your husband do to help push you along or help cheerlead you? Um, Harold's, Harold's day job is a project manager, mm-hmm. so he can also be the project manager of our creative projects. Very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just talked about how, 
we both have, you and I both have a thousand ideas and go in a thousand directions. Mm-hmm. So I need to have, I need to have a herald to say, okay, you've got to finish this one. Don't, don't run off and start something new. What are the steps you need to do to finish this? Okay, take the next step. You're going to complete this project before you go in another direction. And that's, that's really helpful. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Now, when he's feeling down, what do you, how do you get him back on track? Um, I like, I remind him that he's an award-winning horror writer. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And that's, that's super good because, you know, if you're married to someone, you make lame jokes and they make lame jokes all the time. Yes. So I like to follow up any of his lame jokes by reminding him that he's an award-winning writer. Very supportive wife. Yeah, well, you know, as as long as it keeps him keeps him honest, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but joking joking aside, I think um, I think having that person in your house that you can bounce your ideas off of, and somebody who will give you encouragement on what's good and honesty about the parts that need work is really helpful. Yeah. Well, absolutely, and. That's kind of the hardest part of cheerleading for, especially like you know, a spouse or a partner, is that you also have to be able to tell them, wow, oh, this is this part, this one thing, this is sticking with me. Yeah. And, and do it kind of because you know their feelings have to get hurt this time. Mm-hmm. That's always the least fun of them. Just like, God, the, the whole thing is brilliant, but this sentence or this paragraph, you really should. You really should. This one bed. thing, yeah. <laughs> Finding like a loving and caring way to be like, this part sucks. Yeah, this 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 character is a terrible human being. You got to get him out of there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in, let me ask you, Meg. So when you're you've got this done, you're okay. We'll just kind of go through the steps here. So you, you get concept, and then you mm-hmm. you dummy up your your in this case cards, and so you start play testing and having people over figuring out what your rules are. I imagine at some point you have to write the rule book after you've done all the ironing out. Mm-hmm. So your husband is a graphic designer or has some graphic design skills? Did I... Yeah. Okay. So you did you did all your graphics were in-house? Yeah. How do you go from, okay, now we've got all this stuff boxed up on my table and it's, it's done. We're ready to sell them, but now apparently I need to get copies of everything made and put in a, in a nice looking box and have it shrink wrapped and ship mm-hmm. to stores. Let's start with the first part. So you got your game done. How yeah. do you get sellable copies put together? I mean, is there. Yeah. You know, go ahead and just kind we, of walk me through it. First, we worked with um, we worked with the Game Crafter and that was they were really great for uh, prototypes and they're really fast turnaround if we wanted sample decks. Okay. Um, and that that's all Harold. Like, he took it from ugly index cards to prototypes arriving in the mail, and that was that was great. Um, we're selling on Amazon now, mm-hmm. and we need to get uh, Game Crafters great because they're print on demand. But okay. now that we're on Amazon, we have to order in larger volume. So we're um, we're talking to a traditional publish a traditional printer right now to publish our game. Gotcha. So yeah. that's that's still something you're you're trying to figure out and learn how to handle. Then is that yeah. next step? Okay. No, it's, it, look, I mean, it, it's kind of exciting and daunting, but you know. 
Yeah. It's it sounds like it's it's working out well, so that's why you get to have this next weird step. Away. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if our problem is like, man, we sure are selling too yeah. many to use this district. Like, that's a great problem. Yeah, G Willikers, we sure are successful these <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah, but I mean, it's still like we both have full time jobs that are outside of Small Monsters games, so it is still a problem. It is still something that we're trying to sort out, you know, nights and weekends. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I understand that completely. Because that, I mean, ideally, the idea is you guys can go into game design for yourselves. Perm- I mean, I assume that's where you're headed with this, right? That's the dream, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the American dream is to go into business for yourself. <laughs> well, because we all see it now. There's no way to get rich working for somebody else anymore. You know? yeah. there's, there's just no way that's going to happen. Um, so that's the idea. So now you've got them printed. You figured out how to get them into Amazon. How hard was it for you to get Amazon to carry your product? Um, it was not that hard. Um, a lot of the difficulties that I had were, it was a good difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a convention and we sold out at the, at the convention like before noon that day. That's awesome. So I just like grossly underestimated. Um, and then we tried to get them on Amazon and we sold out right away. Um, and, and I don't mean like, Oh, we're so, we're so wildly successful. I just, my background is teaching ESL and writing for video games. This whole like estimating demand thing is not really my yeah. skill set. And it's not, it's not an easy thing to do either because say like you, well, how many, you did your first convention. How many did you print? How many did you have ready to go? We brought 60 and you sold out. Yeah. So you could have sold 500. You just, you have no way to know. Well, that's, I that's, know. What, I, that's what I mean, though, is that there's, you, you take all the information you got, and if you ran out of something, you're just like, I, I actually don't know what the, I don't know what the full numbers would have looked like, you know? So how do we figure yeah. out what to do? You know, I guess you'd print double, right? I guess. I, I guess. Um, I just, I have this nightmare that, um, I'm going to have boxes and boxes of unsold card games mm-hmm. and it's like it's hard to it's hard to overlook that and try to make really good guesses about sales oh, yeah. and demand. Well, and I talk to a lot of independent uh, comic book creators and that's that's yeah. their fear. You know, it's like, you know, I've got my comic book done. Now do I have a closet full of these comics for the next 30 years of my life? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's our that's our real concern when we look at other printers because you know, for for a tra- traditional game company, a small order is a thousand or a couple thousand. Right. And for us, like, if I do that, is my living room just going to be boxes of this unsold game? Is this is this the right call to grow the company? Yeah, that's 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 always one. But so now you've done something that a lot of people dream of but don't really get around to doing. So first off, what did it feel like to get your first printed copy of your game back in your hand? It was so exciting. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of grown men tell me they cried the first time they held that, you know, their comic book or whatever it was. They're like, yep, first time out, I sobbed like a child, and that's that's always awesome. Um. And then, how did it feel to get validated the first time you sold? Well, when you sold out of the game, how did you feel? What was that like? So, um, the convention we did was uh, Boston Festival of Indie Games. And I was already excited that they took us as one of their showcase games based on our prototype. So, I was already, like, thrilled to be there. Um, and 
when people were coming by our table that weren't like friends that we had asked to stop sure. by, <laughs> that was really exciting. And when people like when we sold out and there were people that I didn't know trying to give us money for the game, it was really exciting. Yeah. First one you probably have to look at, like, are, did you hit your head? This, <laughs> what are you doing with money over here? Yeah. What What were your expect, expectations going to that first convention? I mean, how did you, how did you think you were going to do? What was I, your worst case scenario? My worst case scenario was that I would stand sadly at the booth all day and then carry my unsold copies home. Um, uh, we've done comic conventions, um, for, uh, Harold's comic books. Sure. So I kind of knew, I knew what it was like to be working the booth, but I really didn't, didn't have any expectations or I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be like to be demonstrating a game. And I didn't know what that particular show was going to be like. And I didn't know if there was going to be any interest in the game. Right. Um, have you guys started to get feedback from players yet? Yeah, yeah, which is it's super exciting because sometimes I'll see I've seen some uh, Facebook and Instagram pictures mm-hmm. and seeing the game that you know we made on our kitchen table, seeing it in somebody else's living room is yeah, really exciting. That's kind of wild. So you got takeout down. You're working on a horror game. If you yeah. want to try to typify the genre of horror your game is in. I'm not trying to have you spoil or anything, but is there a genre? Is it a slasher? Is it a mystery? What, what do we got? Uh, it is a haunted house urban legend kind of feel. Oh, okay. And our goal is to do so. So takeout is about the experience of sitting around the table with your backpack or friends trying to get something good to eat. Um, so this new one, Harold's game is Beyond Stories, and the experience of that one is like you're staying up late at a sleepover and you're telling horror stories. That's awesome. Um, so for me, my favorite, my favorite slasher film of all time is Friday the 13th part two. And that opens, it doesn't open with, but when they first talk about the killer in that movie, it is them sitting around a fire telling a ghost story or a fire legend, you know, fireside legend about him. And for me, that's the perfect place for a horror story or tale or game to begin. Yeah. To me, that's that's the scariest thing is when somebody tells you a, sto- a ghost story or anything that begins with that it's true because it happened to my cousin or it happened to my roommate's friend or it's it's somehow connected to real life. That's always so scary. Yeah. That that's always yeah. It was my 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 mom's cousin's brother's roommate's yeah second cousin who lived in Louisiana once saw this happen. That's always cool stuff. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, Meg, where can they go find out more about Small Monsters Games? So our dev blog is just smallmonstersgames.com. Monsters is plural and games is plural. Well, that's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> and also, again, just so people know, if you want to go buy this game, it's not very expensive. It's like $17 on Amazon. I just bought one. Go to tinyurl.com slash takeoutgame. Uh, and like I said, this is a, an affiliate link for my site. So you help out the web, you help out the podcast a little bit, but you also, you know, you buy a game from an independent creator who is put their money where their mouth is and is living the dream. So, you know, don't be a lazy ass about it. Go buy the game. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Um, so yeah, well, you know, that's, look, it takes a lot to kind of bet on yourself like this, you know, and that's, that's a theme that comes back on the show. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a game developer like yourself or somebody who's doing comic books or written a book or made a movie or hell, even a pro wrestler I've had on who writes books now that that's his thing is like, you know, nut up a little bit, grab, grab your boots, run at it and try to try to take it on. And at the, at the worst, it goes bad and you're right where you started anyways. Yeah. It's not going to kill you. Probably, probably. Well, it, I guess if you bought a lot of copies of your game and then they all fell on you, it might, I guess that could be a possibility. Yeah. It would also be kind of sad if you bought so many copies, you had to get rid of the furniture in your house and just use boxes of games. Yeah, that would be. Gosh, now I'm just now I just feel kind of down for, and you know that happened to somebody. Uh. <laughs> you know that happened to somebody. Oh, that's my fear, man. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, so, are you guys doing more conventions? What are you doing to help get the word out about your game? Um, I'm not really sure. We okay. we're on we're on Twitter a lot. Um, right now we're working on. We kind of have our heads down working on the new game. Okay. We're not doing. I know this. This sounds bad. We're not doing a whole lot of promotion because we're in, in development for the new project. And since the studio is only two people, it's hard to do both at once. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I guess you know as time goes, because at some point you're gonna have to find a distributor or somebody to get this into stores for you, right? Yeah. That's that's when you do. That's promotion. the next step. Yeah. That's when you really jump on promotion. Well, Meg, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you in my Rolodex. Great. And uh, let your husband know if he ever wants to do a podcast. I would love to take a look at his book and probably talk to him too. Yeah. Oh, I'll definitely tell him. Yeah. Um, but definitely, when your when your next game is ready to come out, please let me know because I I definitely want to follow up and talk about that too. Yeah. Great. All right. I'll let you know. I appreciate it. Thank you. So everybody else, you can check us out at geekishcast.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash thegeekishcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geekishcast. I am on Instagram, but that's pretty much just cosplayers and uh, my dogs at beer. So there's really no need to go there. I mean, it's really kind of pointless. Please, please rate and review. <laughs> Geekish Cast, wherever you uh, steal or listen to your podcasts. And um, Meg, thanks again. It's been a lot of fun. It was great being on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, everybody else, bye-bye. <laughs>